the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, he writes here, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand, Lord, was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. He writes there very honestly about how when I had unconfessed sin in my life and I kept silent before God, I just felt the heaviness upon me. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. God spoke to the Israelites through the prophet Ezekiel, warning them to turn from their sinful ways. Today, Pastor Gary will take you to Ezekiel to show you a glimpse of God's forgiveness and love for you. His own people turned their backs on him to follow false gods. But God still chooses to forgive them and remain faithful to them. There is a crushing weight to a life lived in sin, but God's promises are true for everyone. You can leave your life of sin to live a forgiven life of righteousness for God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, as he begins his message, Losing Sin Weight. Let's go to Ezekiel, chapter 33. We're going to be looking at two verses, verses 10 and 11 out of Ezekiel 33. Let me set the stage a little bit before we read these verses. Following the invasion of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, which started in 606 B.C. and culminated with the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., following this invasion were deported to Babylon thousands of Jews that he took captive back to Babylon, the capital city of Babylonia, the empire that existed in what is today primarily the territory of Iraq. And the Jewish people will spend the next 70 years in exile in Babylon, contemplating their sin. It was all God's design because he wanted to awaken them to their rebellion against him. And so he puts them in effect on a 70 year time out. And about 12 years into their 70-year captivity, which is where we are here in Ezekiel chapter 33, about 12 years now into their 70 years of captivity, their hard hearts finally start to melt. Ezekiel, 
the man after whom this book is named, is a prophet raised up by God to warn the people. He's living among them, among the exiles in Babylon. He's warning them. He's telling them that judgment is not just going to come in the form of the destruction of their home city back in Jerusalem. It's going to come to them personally unless they get right with God. And so 12 years into the seven years of captivity, now they finally heed the words of Ezekiel that God is speaking through him, and you begin to see their hearts melting a little bit. Here in Ezekiel chapter 33, I want to draw your attention to two verses, verses 10 and 11, and we see that their hearts are melting through what God says in quoting them. He's going to quote the Jewish people living in exile in Babylon, and you're going to hear in the way he quotes them that their hearts are melting somewhat towards the gravity of their own sin. So look with me here at chapter 33, verses 10 and 11. God says, therefore you, O son of man, son of man was a nickname for Ezekiel. God's calling him son of man in this context. And so God is instructing Ezekiel here. And he says in verse 10, say to the house of Israel, say to the Jewish captives there in Babylon, thus you say, so here's where God quotes them. God's listening and he's quoting them. If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, in other words, burden us, and we pine away, we waste away in them, how can we then live? And then God turns to Ezekiel in verse 11, and he says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Now, I want to give you those verses again in the New Living Translation. It kind of puts it in more modern language, and here's what it says. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying, and then he quotes, our sins are heavy upon us. That's why I underlined it in the screen to emphasize. Our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away. How can we survive? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? So I want to talk to you today about what to do when sin weighs you down in a sermon I've entitled, Losing Weight. (laughs) Or the subtitle, as I just said, What to Do When Sin Weighs You Down. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here in your house together and to worship you, to partake of communion together, to remember your sacrifice, and now to open up your word and to study together what you would say to us through these verses. We pray that we would be receptive, Lord, to what you would want to minister to us today, that we would receive, Lord, your instruction, your encouragement, the way you gently challenge us. And we thank you in response, Lord, that you first loved us. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. When we are not right with God, that is to say, when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, or we are living in disobedience to the Lord or dishonoring Him, and we haven't repented, we're just living that way and kind of enjoying it even, eventually we begin to feel the weight of our sin. A lifestyle that is in constant disobedience and dishonoring God without confessing and getting right with Him on a regular basis begins to feel heavy. 
David understood this. In fact, David would write about it regarding his own sinful condition, his own sinful heart. You know, it's interesting about King David. You know, he's the second king of Israel. You ask anybody on the street who may not even know their Bibles, have you ever heard of King David, the guy in the Bible? A lot of people would say, yeah, I heard of the guy. And if you ask them, you know, what's the one thing that you know about David, even people who don't go to church and don't necessarily know the Bible will probably be able to say to you, oh yeah, he's that guy that had an affair with some woman, you know, Bathsheba. And that's true. You know, what I find interesting about David's life is that, you know, here we are thousands of years later still talking about it. Aren't you glad that your sins were not recorded in the Bible for people to read about thousands of years later? But that's the situation with David, and and God exposes his life for our benefit. And one of the things that's beneficial for us to understand about his own sinful choices was that he illustrates exactly what we're reading here. He wrote in the Psalms about the heaviness of his heart when he lived with unconfessed sin. When he hadn't repented of this affair with Bathsheba and he felt like nobody really knew and everything was copacetic because it was kind of hidden and it didn't hurt anybody else, so he thought. And yet the fact is that God always sees and God always knows and God's heart always breaks. And because of his love for us, he'll never let us remain the way we are and he'll start to put the squeeze on us. And David started feeling the squeeze of God, and he wrote in the Psalms about the heaviness that he started to feel. For example, in Psalm 32, verses 1 to 4, David said this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, not covered up, but basically covered over by the Lord. He said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, he writes here, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand, Lord, was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. He writes here very honestly about how when I had unconfessed sin in my life and I kept silent before God, I just felt the heaviness upon me, God's heavy hand. I felt like the drought of summer, like I was living in an arid wasteland, like, you know, things in my life were just really dry and unfruitful. He would write similarly in Psalm chapter 38, verses 3 and 4. He says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head. New King James says, NIV says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. It's the idea of being like you're drowning and it just is overwhelming. And he describes the overwhelming feeling of just living in unconfessed sin. And he adds, like a heavy burden, this is Psalm 38 verse 4, like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. And so this is the kind of thing that the Jewish people are feeling here now finally in Babylon. They're finally coming to terms with their own sinful heart. Now, The primary sin of the Jewish people living in captivity has been up to this point, not the only sin, but the primary sin has been idolatry, that they had been carving images out of wood and fashioning images out of metal and literally bowing down to them, worshiping them as gods. And they did this for 400 years before they're sent into captivity. God had put up with their idolatry for 400 years years this had been going on where they adopt the gods of the nations around them start carving little statues little idols worshiping them instead of the true and living god 
He's been putting up with this for 400 years. Now, the reason I point this out is because sometimes people have this view of God like he's this really angry God. God's a vengeful God. One small move and God's going to swat you like a bug. And people have this idea of God. Let me tell you something. When people talk like that to me, they say, you know, isn't God just quick to punish and judge and he's just vengeful? He's an angry God. I want to say to them, listen, how long would you be tolerant of someone who constantly cheated on you? Probably not 400 years. I mean, I'm guessing, but probably not 400 years. All right. How patient does God have to be with us? He was patient for 400 years with his own people. And he sends them off to captivity to purge them of their idolatry. And even after putting up with all of this nonsense for 400 years, he sends them off on a timeout so that he can take them back. Because he takes us back time and time again. How many times have we been unfaithful to God and he has always still been faithful to us? This is the nature of our Father in heaven. He's not quick to bring justice. He's not swift with vengeance. He is patient with us. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. This is the long-suffering nature of our Father. So when you think about what's happening here in other places in the Bible, don't rush to the conclusion that God is just quick to express his vengeance. He's a very patient God, a very loving God, and he's dealing with his own people over this primary sin of idolatry. Psalm 115 describes the foolishness of their idolatry with these words. It says that they had turned to idols of silver and gold made by the hands of men, that these idols have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. In other words, if you are doing such a foolish thing, you're going to end up just as foolish as those mute idols. And then the psalmist adds later in Psalm 115, verse 9, O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. It's a sad thing if you're worshiping a God that you can carry under your arm. Isn't that a sad thing? That's what they were doing. They were carving these images and putting them under their arms and transporting them around. And what good are those little gods? They're not going to save you. They have mouths where they cannot speak. They have hands but they cannot feel. They have feet, they can't walk. They can't do a thing for you. But this was their sin. And this is what they had turned to for hundreds of years. And so God sends them off to captivity. He takes them away from their comfort zone, if you will. He removes them from their land. The temple gets destroyed. And you know how it is that when you have everything precious to you stripped away, you finally turn to God. And that's what happened. So they had everything precious to them stripped away the temple, their homeland, their families, everything. When they were taken captive to Babylon, often families were separated because the Bible talks about weeping in Ramah. Ramah was the point north from Israel where they then went over to Babylon where children were separated from their mothers. You get over to Babylon and you have lost everything and everything's foreign to you and uncommon to you. You're going to finally probably turn to God. That's usually what happens with us. When God gets us to the place where all these other things have been stripped away and we have nowhere else to turn except to Him, then that's finally when we come to our senses and find His loving, compassionate forgiveness waiting for us. And that's what happens here in our story. It takes them 12 years, but they finally begin to melt. 
and they begin to turn to God. And when they turn to God, here's what happens. They come to the awareness of the crushing weight of their sin. And under the crushing weight of their sin, they are experiencing guilt and shame for what they've done. You know, guilt and shame aren't the problem. Guilt and shame are just the symptoms of the larger problem. The larger problem that affects all of us is sin. When we break the heart of God because we dishonor Him or disobey Him. When we're not right with God, we sin. Now, we're all sinners. The Bible makes it clear. There's none righteous, no, not one. When we feel guilt and shame, the guilt and shame is the result of our sin. People who try to just remedy the guilt problem are never really dealing with the root issue. There's a lot of people in our culture today who aren't aware of why they feel so guilty, why they feel so ashamed, and so they medicate or they counsel, they try to do a lot of things to alleviate the guilt and the shame. If they never get to the real root issue, which is the sin issue, then they can never be free from the guilt and the shame. See how that works. And so it's tragic for people who don't understand this. And if you're here today and you don't understand the correlation between guilt and shame and sin, I hope you do before you leave here today, because God wants to relieve you not of the guilt and shame by itself, but of the sin issue so that then the accompanying guilt and shame can be relieved as well. The people here are saying, if you notice what we read in verses 10 and 11 from Ezekiel 33, when they come to grips with the weight of their sin, it's so crushing that they say, we don't know if we can survive this. That's literally what they say. We don't know if we can survive this. New King James says, how then can we live? Now, if you think those words are dramatic, that's because you've never been in a real dark valley of sin. Because if you've ever experienced a really, really dark valley of sin, and you know you've been disobedient to God, and you feel that separation of that relationship or that connection to God because you've been in this deep valley of sin, unrepentant, unconfessed sin, you know how despairing that can be. And if you don't turn to God, it can be so crippling that here's what begins to happen. You begin to either think that God's so upset with you, you're going to die, or you're so upset with yourself that you want to die, or both. And please understand, the enemy would love for you to die under the weight of guilt and shame. Satan loves that. Because he's all about condemnation. He's all about heaping more guilt, more shame, so that then you would want to die under the weight of guilt and shame. That's his MO. And let me tell you something. No doubt people die every day at their own hand because of guilt and shame, because of something that they've done. And my friends, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Because you see, God so loved the world, he sent Christ to die for us so that our sin problem could be dealt with on the cross, so that by trusting what Jesus did for us and receiving forgiveness of our sins, the guilt and the shame are relieved along with the sin, so that we might live, we might be free. And this is what God wants for people. He wants people to be free. He wants people to be free from the shame and the guilt. He wants people. That's why he says, turn then. He goes, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn then that you might live. Why should you die, O house of Israel? In other words, why? Why should you succumb? Listen to me on this. There's a big difference between condemnation, which is the tool of the enemy, and conviction, which is the tool of the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference between those two things. Condemnation is an effort of the enemy to keep you constantly under the weight of your guilt. Conviction by the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is where God brings you to a place of surrender so that you can give him the shame and guilt of your sin. So that he can take it from you, that you might be free. 
He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. There are too many people walking around today under a heavy load of guilt and shame because of the sin problem. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus wants to set you free. That's why in Romans 8.1, Paul writes, There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But the law of the Spirit of the life of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's freedom in knowing Him, in having a relationship with your Creator. The guilt and the shame lifted, the heavy weight, the crushing burden of our sin paid for by Christ on the cross. And this is what God wants for us because He is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. Someone who's against you does not send his only son to die for you. Jesus died for us. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as I quoted earlier, 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Why? Because God is for you. That's why he says here, turn, turn from your evil ways. If you're taking notes... The way to lose the weight of sin is to turn from the way of sin and turn toward God. That's what he wanted for his people. That's what he wants for us. The way to lose the weight of sin. If you're here today and you're carrying around guilt and shame and this unconfessed sin, you're going to have an opportunity to really get right with the Lord today and just let him take all that from you. But you have to turn from the way of sin and turn towards God. This is basically what Jesus meant in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, when he invites people to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me put the verse up there for you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, they were an agrarian society. They were a farming community, so they understood the terminology of this verse. What Jesus is talking about, the idea of being yoked, what does he mean when he talks about yoke? Because this is an agrarian term, and so for the sake of you millennial Washington suburbanites who like soy lattes and skinny jeans and have never been in a farm. He does not mean yoke, Y-O-L-K. All right, what he means is the yoke, Y-O-K-E, where oxen would be yoked together. Now, typically in that day, here's what they would do. They would yoke together an older, stronger, larger ox with a smaller, younger, weaker ox. They would be harnessed together. This is the language that Jesus is using there in Matthew 11. And what he's talking about here is the idea that when an older, stronger oxen was linked to a smaller, weaker oxen, it would be for two reasons. The smaller ox would learn from the stronger, older one. And in addition, the older, stronger, bigger ox would carry the weight of the burden because he was larger. And so the younger one, the smaller one, would just kind of be going along for the journey, learning 
But the weight of the burden would not be so much on the smaller, younger ox because the larger, stronger one was doing the lion's share, if you will, of hauling the weight. Now, Jesus uses this terminology in Matthew chapter 11, and he's talking about how the invitation is, come to me, he says. Thanks for joining us today in the book of Ezekiel. This prophetic book brings not only an understanding of things in the past, but also things that are ahead. Much of Ezekiel predicts God's judgment in order for people to turn back to Him in repentance. Repentance and devotion were what God wanted then and what He wants from us now. If you're enjoying learning about God's character and plans through this book and how it relates to the here and now, we encourage you to read through the book of Ezekiel on your own. You can also listen to more of Pastor Gary's teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app to take them on the go. If you're looking for some additional resources to aid your time of study in the Word, visit the teaching tab on our site for companion resources. On our website, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love for you to visit us, find service times and directions, along with more information at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're glad we were able to spend some time with you today. Join us again next time for more from Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse study in the book of Ezekiel, right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know